When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. Just Ben. Sounded like I was going to say something. I really did. I thought you were going to launch into some uh, incredible diatribe about uh, (laughs) about today's topic, but uh, (laughs) instead, I was met with nothing. Hey, you know, I talk a lot, so every so often you've got to let the room breathe. Oh, you know, you know what? If you were to run a stopwatch on our episodes, I'm sure that I would uh, far outweigh you. I feel like I'm <laughs> I'm over here blabbering all day long. But uh, today, maybe we'll both blabber on a little bit about uh, some interesting Australian-built vehicles. Yes, 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 ladies and gentlemen, friends and neighbors. Uh, if you are in the United States, you are in Australia or anywhere in the world. Maybe you're an astronaut. Maybe you're in orbit. Uh, we hope you will enjoy this episode of Car Stuff. We have been checking out some great topics that come to us from Australia uh, just over the years. We have a huge following in Australia. This is, I don't know why they find this strange, but we do. We seem to get a lot of listener response from Australia. They love us over there. And, uh, and, you know, we, we appreciate it, of course. Mm-hmm. So we try to work a few Australian topics into the, into the mix occasionally, right? We've done Ute shows. We've done the, the Bathurst. Trains. Yeah. The Bathurst 1000, mm-hmm. the road trains episode. You're right. Um, we talked about kangaroo, um, dummies using oh, yeah. crash tests. We've talked yeah. about a bunch of Australian stuff, but, uh, today we're going to, uh, take it a different way with Australian production vehicles. And I may think that we're just going to be talking about Ford and Holden and Toyota, because right. those are the ones that are typically associated with Australia. Not so. No, there's a uh, the continent has a, a much bigger and broader automobile history than that, than just mm-hmm. those three brands. I mean, that's a big history to begin with. But uh, there's a lot of what we'll call strange vehicles in Australia's auto manufacturing past. Right. And Australian listeners may be surprised to find that even you might find a new vehicle today that you haven't heard of because some of these are deep cuts man uh, honestly oh definitely we're going to talk about some very low production number vehicles that are coming out of australia from uh what are the last 60 or 70 years i think so right there's some surprises here even for people that live in australia as you mentioned but definitely for the rest of the world yeah we're gonna jump around in time a little bit and uh, we hope that we find some things that are surprising to you we know that we're gonna find some things that are surprising to our listeners outside of Australia. So let's just 
dive into it. What's first on the list? First on the list is the Adair Sportif. Ah. Uh, this is a car, this very, very low production, as we said. There were just 12 of these built. Right, yeah, and the, the story behind it is... Uh, fascinating, if not funny. This was based on the VH Commodore. Uh, the, there's a firm there in Melbourne called the Classic Car Craft, and they created the Sportif. It's two doors, uh, using parts of a German Opel record. Uh, and that's something that the early Commodores were based upon themselves. Yeah, it's got other parts as well. There's the headlights from the Ford Fairlane. Um, it's a strange car. So it's a Holden car. That they're putting a new body on, really. And it's built by a company called Classic Carcraft. Mm-hmm. And uh, Classic Carcraft described the Sportif as the car uh, General Motors Holden should have built. And it's funny that they say this because right. they only built 12 of them, right? And I think a lot of people really didn't like this car. I mean, obviously, it didn't really catch on. But, um, right. you know, with 12 examples sold, I don't think you could really have the, uh, you know, the... Uh, Huevos to say that uh, General Motors should have built this vehicle or the Holden company should have built this car. Right. Yeah. And uh, we saw that the a lot of times, man, the big talkers are the first to uh, falter when they walk. The The Holden VH Commodore itself is a pretty darn good vehicle. I mm-hmm. mean, released October 1981. And, you know, it's the evolution of the previous Commodore, the VC model. Uh, this this is a car that you see around everywhere, so it's it makes sense to me that this would be a good beginning for mm-hmm. an experiment. Yeah, sure. And we'll find a lot of the companies do that. They rebody right. a car. They take uh, you know elements that they like from other vehicles and put them together and say, oh, like this one did, and said, oh yeah, this is the car that you should have built. People are going to love this. And then in fact, uh, again with twelve twelve built, uh, it. Mm. it Failed on the uh, in the marketplace. Well, let's move on to the next one. Uh, sure, the Bowlwell. I like this one. This is maybe the the coolest looking one on the entire list. The, I I really like all of the uh, the different models and makes of this one because there were nine different models and they're very similar in design, I guess. But they go from Mark One through about Mark Eight, and then I was confused by that because it says nine models, but it goes Mark One to Mark Eight. Right. Um, later, they revealed a uh, a Mark Ten. Which is kind of strange, a, a Nagari model. They called it yeah. the Mark 10 Nagari. And it was re- revealed in 2008, and it had a starting price that was north of $200,000. Now, this is an interesting vehicle because the mechanicals were borrowed from several different manufacturers. Engines came from Ford, Holden, and Volkswagen for this car. Yeah, and Bullwell has a fascinating, unexpected story because, as we said, they're an Australian company, and they originally produced sports cars for a very short amount of time. Yeah, just from, uh, what, 1962 through 1979, so what, about 17 years? Yeah, and this is the part where someone's saying, Scott, Ben, hang on, guys. You said that they had a new car coming out. In 08. Yeah, that's right. And I think in 2009, they actually started building this car. And right. I don't know. I don't even know if they're still in production. I haven't really dug into it enough to find that out. But I can tell you what it looks like because I did look up the uh, the vehicle that they revealed in 2008. And the best way to describe it is sort of like a Lotus Elise maybe, but not exactly. It's a, it's a little bit different in the way it, um, 
the back end is treated. But if you want to look at the older Bowlwell designs, they kind of look like uh, the Datsun car. Yeah, that's a really good yeah, point. Maybe like the 240, the 280Z, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, the Bowlwell Nagari, uh, Nagari is an aboriginal word that means flowing, mm-hmm. uh, was the first full production car that Bowl had, sports car at least. Uh, they only made 100 coupes and 18 convertibles. Wow, so pretty low production again. So talking of a what 118 total mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it that's uh, extremely low so let's move on to the next one on the list unless you got more on bowlwell that we need to know oh no i think we uh, we've got we've got others to get to and honestly i'm saving some good stuff about bowlwell for a possible podcast in the future oh yeah cuz it's an interesting car it definitely looks cool oh that's what we should say guys if you hear a vehicle that we mention that you would like to hear more about or you think would make a good episode for a podcast Go ahead and send us an email. Ah, yes. And here's another car that is still in production today. This is called the, uh, the Bufori. Mm-hmm. Is it Bufori or Bufori, maybe? I think Bufori. Bufori. Now, this is weird. This is an acronym. B-U-F-O-R-I. It's an acronym for beautiful, unique, fantastic, original, romantic, and irresistible. So you would think that this car would just be uh, the car to end all cars, right? Yeah. To me, not speaking Italian at first, I wondered, is this for some reason an Italian word? And I felt, uh, I felt like a, a nincompoop, a dunderhead when I figured out there was an acronym when I found that part because it reminded me of, uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream, which I don't know, I don't know if that's everywhere else in the world or if it's just in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know that word means nothing, right? That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. It's just a way to sell the product. The guy made it up because he said, oh, this sounds fancy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I got Haagen-Dazs on this, but before themselves, uh, they started building, um, a Madison with a VW engine uh, in 1986, yeah. these three brothers. And they still build cars. They still build them, but not in Australia. They moved the production to Malaysia in 1998, and they build two different models now. I think they had three different models that were built in Australia. They built the Madison they built one called the uh, the V6i mm-hmm. and then the Mark II. Yeah, and uh, now, based in Malaysia, they're building the La Joya and the Geneva models. Exactly right. So that's the Malaysian production. And I guess the best way to describe these, because I went online and took a look at the, the two cars that are around today. I mean, these, has, these have kind of the classic coach-style look, I guess. Uh-huh. Maybe, uh, you know, like a long front end and, uh, you know, two-seater very little or no trunk, but, you know, that long, long hood with maybe the, the rolling fenders and, you know, the wheel, the spare tire mounted on those fenders on the, on the front. Oh, yeah. Great big headlights. It's kind of a classic look. Uh, but the, the newer vehicles, the, uh, you know, the Geneva and the, uh, La Joya. La Joya or La Joya. I don't know what La Joya. it is. Probably La Joya. Um, it kind of looks like a cross between a Rolls Royce and a Morgan Aero Coupe. It's not a particularly attractive car in my mind, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not uh, Bufori. And the La Jolla or the La Joya is, uh, is very similar in style. So they're not dramatically different between the two makes, uh, two models rather. But uh, I would bet there's a cost difference is probably where it's at, you know, with the accessories, et cetera. Oh, yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, let's go on to... The next one. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting one. The bullet. Yeah, the bullet. This is uh, this is almost well. You, you could just say that this is a Mazda MX-5, right? So right. Yeah, these are rotary-powered, rechassied MX-5. Yeah, you're right. But the difference is that they 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 alter these, they modify these, right? Yeah, so these yeah. are they take the uh, the Mazda MX-5 or what we call the Miata here in the states. Uh-huh. They they modify them uh, with, in some cases, a giant Lexus V8. Right. Uh, so these are these are very powerful kits. Uh, you know, 
oftentimes supercharged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so extremely powerful, small sports cars. It's always been a, a popular combination. Right. And this is a recent addition because it, people familiar with this, you'll recall that they started mid nineties, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, Lexus V8 engine starts coming in around the two thousands, but they still specialize in these kits and they apparently Word on the street is they have a new supercar in the works. Ah, uh, yes. And I went to their site. I went to the Bullet site. And you can go to uh, bulletcars.com for updates on this. But they haven't really announced any kind of body style. They haven't shown you what they're going to do yet. But they're saying that they're not going to use the MX-5 uh, donor body anymore. They're going to create a brand new supercar. So, again, uh, all new style. They're going to continue to build these high-performance supercars. But um, it's going to have a new look. Yeah, and this, I went to the website as well. This is something that is definitely worth looking at if you are a supercar fan. Mm -hmm. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging... Those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you are not a fan of supercars, I'm surprised. I mean, as Fleetwood Mac says, go your own way. But seriously, supercars are awesome. <laughs> That's funny, Ben. It's like you're saying, uh, you got to see it my way. Well, I mean, just not necessarily my way. Well, it's my way or the highway. It's the right way. So uh, maybe you've influenced me. Oh, man, I'm going to get some letters maybe, for but that, that But bulletcars.com, they definitely have some great cars to check out there. So, oh, so yeah. go ahead and do it. Uh, next up on our list, the Gio Cotolo, um, which I am mispronouncing. Uh, it's the, it's a low volume vehicle, right? Yeah. Um, and it was manufactured by the, uh, Gio Cotolo, uh, Motori. It's a low volume 
vehicle, and it was produced by a Italian company, an Italian company named Gio Cotolo Motori. Uh, this this is interesting. Uh, the name is Italian for what, Scott? Toy. It's called a toy. So it's outright saying this is just a toy car. It's not for everyday use or whatever. But uh, this vehicle is from the mid-1980s. And you may think, well, that's kind of a, a strange era to really you know, mm. think about you know, these incredible low-production sports cars like what they're building, right? But what was happening in the mid-1980s is very important here, right? Because this was a vehicle that was intended to compete in the Group B rally competition. Yes. And the reason this is of singular importance is because if you have listened to our episodes on Group B rally cars and the regulations that came from that, you know uh, that these these vehicles eventually were outlawed. Yeah, because they were just too powerful. Yeah, they were too they were too good and yeah. therefore too dangerous. Yeah, it was a, it's an interesting story and we do again we have that whole podcast about that and uh it's fascinating history but I can tell you a little bit more about this car and then I think we'll move on to the next one but it was the work of an entrepreneur named Paul Halstead and a former F1 designer named Barry Locke. Mm-hmm. And boy, it's tough to say Barry Locke. I want to say Peter Brock when I say that. <laughs> it's cuz we're talking about Australia and design. Anyway, so it was Barry Locke who was a former F1 designer. And you can imagine this car has, you know, quite a bit of style like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Group B rally cars of that day. I mean, it's, a, it's got a giant wing on the back. It looks like it has fender flares. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool looking. But again, it's the mid 1980s. So maybe not exactly what you're thinking. Um, so incredible power out of this car. It has a five liter Holden V8 among mm-hmm. other things. I mean, it has a lot of different parts from different vehicles. So it has an Alfa Romeo. Um, glass house and, and cabin, which means, I guess, the entire upper part of the vehicle. Yeah. Um, it has Kevlar body panels and it has what it call, what they call a, a bespoke mid-engine chassis. So a, a custom chassis is what that means. Well, get this though. There's one more thing on this one. A uh, weird uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, it has a toolkit that comes with a mini bar sized bottle of Bundaberg rum and a pair of shot glasses. That's a strange tool to need on the side of the road, but I feel like I've needed that. At some point. <laughs> I mean, we have crazy traffic here, right? Uh, <laughs> and then there is the Gogo Mobile. Yeah, the Gogo Mobile. Now, you may think, well, that's a German car. That's not something that, uh, you know, is, is Australian production, right? You would be wrong because what happened was they, so they brought in the, uh, the German made Gogo Mobile from what, 1957 till about 1961? Yeah, and, uh, this is a micro car. Yeah, micro car. I don't know how I didn't mention that right away, but it's a micro car from post-World War II Germany. And what the Australians did was they brought it in without the, the body on it. They brought in just the chassis, the rolling yeah. chassis. Yeah. With the, with the engine and everything and the, the interior. And then they rebodied it to fit their needs. Right. Yeah. They had locally made uh, fiberglass bodies. And I got to tell you, every time that I see a micro car, I chuckle a little bit. And I'm not I'm not being a jerk, but I just I always notice them. I think they're neat and I think they're cool. I don't know if I would ever be in a place where I could drive one. Yeah. But uh, if you have seen one of these, then first off, you should know that you're very, very, very lucky. And mm-hmm. secondly, I would like some photos. Yeah, pretty low production on these, but uh, again, they were they were rebodied with locally formed fiberglass bodies. So that's where the Australian uh, manufacturing comes in, I guess, to this. Right. right, kind of a technicality, I'd say. I guess so. Yeah, they they built uh, saloon style, they built coupes, they built uh, coupe convertibles, and even a light van variant. And they all had 300 cc and 400 cc twin cylinder engines. 
Mm-hmm. So not that powerful, but again, you don't really need anything that strong, I guess, when you're in a tiny, tiny car. I mean, people aren't buying micro cars to take them out to the salt flats. You no, know what I mean? de- definitely not. Next up, we have Hartnet, which yeah. I think will be familiar to a lot of people because this was formed by a former Holden boss, Lawrence Hartnet, way back in 1949. That's right. The idea was to challenge Holden's market dominance, which is kind of funny now when we think about what's going on. Yeah, but it came from uh, the prime minister at the time. Yeah, the prime minister. The guy's name was Ben Chiefly. And uh, Ben said that, uh, yeah, there was just too much market dominance going on through uh, from Holden at the time. We need something new to compete. And and this guy from Holden, you know, this former um, Holden boss, his name was uh, Lawrence Hartnett, as you mentioned, uh, decided, well, the way to do it is just to start up our own company. We're going to call it Hartnet. And they made a couple of different models. They made the Tasman sedan mm-hmm. and the Pacific convertible. Now, Tasman, I can kind of think, I, I, I'm guessing that it comes from the Tasman Sea, which is right outside of Australia, mm-hmm. between New Zealand and Australia. Mm-hmm. And then Pacific, of course, is the other side. Um, so I, it seems to make sense the way they, they name these. Uh, but really very, very, very low production on these things. Right. Yeah. The There were supply issues. So the company uh, went under in 55 after they built just around 120 cars. Uh there were some station wagons as well that they, they dabbled in, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just goes to show that making cars can be a very risky business. Starting a company can be a very, very difficult now, business. I did not see that they made station wagons. That's pretty cool. That's uh, I, I kind of would like to see that because uh, it had an interesting shape. I mean, it almost had a, uh, a pickup truck boxy look to it. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I like looking at pictures of these old Hartnet vehicles. I like, I like looking at pictures of all these vehicles we've talked about today. But, uh, you know, to imagine the, uh, I guess a wagon version of that, um, I, fascinated by wagons anyway. So maybe that's it. Well, here's something that, that I think is interesting about the Hartnet or the Tasman specifically. And it's, it's a similar issue to what plagued, uh, the Volt. Uh, all right. So the original price. Of the of this vehicle oh, is supposed I, to be less than three hundred pounds. I was wondering how you're going to tie this into the Volt. And then, uh, before production had even started, they said uh, it'll be more around four hundred thirty pounds. Mm-hmm. Then January 1950, they said, okay, it's going to cost less than five hundred pounds, but that counts sales tax. Uh, 1951, no cars have been delivered yet, and the company said, okay, honestly. 549 pounds, and, and then, you know, plus sales tax. So that would make the purchase price less than 600 pounds. Uh, the first aluminum-bodied Pacific convertible sold in April in 52 cost 695 pounds, and that includes sales tax. Wow, so they more than doubled the price of the uh, of the vehicle from when they first you know, announced the vehicle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just tough, and I'm I'm not saying they're bad cars, but you know, we saw the same changing expectations with the Volt pre-production. Sure, we did. Yeah, it was, and, you know, it was it was, uh, it was promised at a very low level, and then it uh, then it came out. It was very expensive. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this is a car. These are cars that I I don't know. They're so rare that I'd be surprised if somebody had seen seen these maybe um i haven't looked to see if they're in a museum or anything no i'm sure that there's got to be examples somewhere hanging around in museums i i know that there are and i've seen a few of the you know with just 120 cars produced um i know i've seen photos of them online so i know they're hanging around i don't know if they're all you know still in australia if they've uh, you know kind of 
uh, been spread out over the world mm-hmm. or what, but I know, I know I've seen examples of them. I've never seen a station wagon version though. That's, that was surprising to me. I want to see what other people think about this next one, the Lightburn Zeta yeah, or this Zeta. Is, now, this is a quirky little car, and I believe that when I went to that uh, that microcar museum, I think I saw an example of this. Oh, that's cool. I'm pretty sure he had one there. Um, it was in, uh, what, Madison, Georgia? Yeah, that guy had everything. Yeah, the, the microcar museum. Anyways, it was, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is strange, Ben. It was, again, built by an appliance manufacturer named Lightburn and Company. Well, they also built cement mixers, so we can't just say they were just appliances. But they mm-hmm. they made appliances, which we found so many times in the past. You know, with uh, what was it Kelvinator? Is that the one? And um, <laughs> who else was it? There were others, uh, right? Let's see. Oh, I'm thinking. I'm putting uh, you on the spot. Engines. Uh, we had a lot. Oh, uh, Tucker. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tucker was making, uh, well, that was more military equipment. Sure, yeah, military. Yeah. But I'm thinking of like home appliances, even kitchen appliances. Oh, yeah, And yeah. I know we've got a short list here somewhere of... The uh, toaster makers. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, there's some pretty interesting uh, manufacturers uh, that have come out of the home appliance Mm -hmm. It's strange. It makes sense because they have the industrial base to do it. Yeah. 
But uh, this this is a funny story about this one, Scott. When I was doing some research in it, I found it on a couple of ugliest cars ever lists. No kidding. Yeah, which seemed really? unfair to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not an absolute work of art, but uh, I don't think it's I don't <laughs> I don't think it's a dog. I don't think it deserves to be on the ugliest car list by any means. I mean, it's a, it's an unusual looking vehicle. Like I said, it's a quirky little car. Um, this is really strange. Okay, it had no no. Let's just get to it here. It had no rear storage. Yeah. Um, it, I guess there no was no reverse a, gear in some of them. Well, yeah, the, in in most of them, there was a sports model, uh, which is not the one we're talking about. We're talking about just the light burn Zeta, the, yeah, the sedan so, model, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, and I think they also had a utility in a uh, um in addition to the sports body. Um, so the sports model was a little bit different, but this vehicle did not have any kind of reverse. So if you were in the car, you could imagine that's very, um, you know, uh, difficult to get around a problem to get around, I guess, if you're in a parking lot. Uh, so what you would do is you would switch the vehicle off and the engine would be started in reverse. Right. And then you would have effectively, you would have four reverse gears because it was the same forward as backwards. So whatever the top speed was in forward gear was also your top speed in reverse gear, theoretically. If What's could, the worst that could happen? Yeah, if you could drive that, you could actually shift this car in reverse if you wanted to. I mean, from you know first, second, third, mm-hmm. fourth, all the way through. Uh, very, very strange and very low production as well. So there were something like uh, 400 of these cars produced total, and that was it. And it had some really weird things, like the fuel tank was located behind the dashboard and had a gravity feed system. Um, you know, the we mentioned the uh, the sports model. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think that one had a slightly bigger engine than the Zeta that we're talking about because the Zeta model had a 324 cc twin cylinder engine, and the sports model had a uh, what they called the big block 498 cc, <laughs> which is yeah. if you think about it, their big block engine. Um, that's about a that's about a half a liter displacement, really. It's a very yeah. small yeah. engine for even for what they call the the sports model. And if you want to see what the sports model was adapted from, um. Again, this is a very low production. Only 48 of those sports models were produced, and they were based on a car called the Meadows Frisky. Mm-hmm. So unusual vehicles, to say the least. But um, you know, check out the uh, the Light Burn Zeta sports model and the Meadows Frisky, and tell us what you think about those. Let's go back to something a little bit bigger, and let's also go back to rotary engines with the Mazda Road Pacer. <laughs> this is so weird. I can't even say this with a straight face, but this is a a Mazda car. So it was sold in Japan. Yeah, from seventy five to seventy seven. Yeah, and it was it, well, it was actually shipped to Japan because it was built in Australia, and it was based on a Holden vehicle. It was built based on the um, the Holden HJ and HX Premier. Hmm. And uh, the the strange thing about this is that those cars typically had um, I, th- I believe it's an inline six engine or a V8 engine. So these yeah, are great the big, big Aussie six. Yeah, these are big, big vehicles. You got a picture of 1970s, mid 1970s. So what, what did they put? So in they, there? they shipped them to Japan without <laughs> without the engines. Right. And Japan or Mazda decided that they were going to add their 13B rotary engine, which is the Wankel engine mm-hmm. uh, designed by Felix Wankel. We've talked about that in the past, but. Um, I, I can tell you that the power output was about the same. The horsepower output was about the same yeah. between the 3.3-liter six-cylinder engine from the Holden car, but it had way less torque. Right, yeah, It which me- meant that it was pretty slow. And of the 800 that were produced, uh, most did not satisfy the owners. This is, however, the only rotary-engined GM product. Yeah, it's strange that they would put this smaller Wankel engine, this rotary engine, in this giant land yacht of a vehicle when it was luxury car buyers that were looking to buy this thing. Yeah, like uh, 
fancy French cheese and uh, Chinese food. These are two great things that don't go well together. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, Ben. I'm hungry. Right, so, so let's uh, let's move on. Here's a here's a strange one. This is uh, this is one that was built as part of a challenge, which I always find interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, low production. They built one thousand examples back in 1981, and this is the Mitsubishi Sigma Peter Warrett Special. Yeah, and Australian fans will notice, uh, will of course remember uh, Peter Warrett. Uh, here's the challenge, at least according to the anecdote. Mm-hmm. He was challenged to create a better car after he complained. Uh, to a Mitsubishi engineer about the way the Sigma handled. Yeah, now Peter Warrett was a, uh, he was a motoring and motorsport journalist. He's also a race car driver, so he knew this stuff, right? And then he went on to do other things, too. I mean, I think he became the, uh, um, a co-writer on the show Torque, which was around, you know, from, I think 1973 till about 1980. He opened his own driver training school, like, you know, post-licensed driver training school. So, you know, way to perfect your driving. I operated that until about 1980. I think it was called Peter Ware at Advanced Driving. And then he was also a pit reporter at the Bathurst 1000 in 1983. Yeah. Um, but according to him, he converted the Sigma into one of the great family cars of the decade, is how he put it. Right. And he did this with a lot of different, a lot of different ways. What he did was he upped the horsepower. He went from, uh, and this is the strangeness here between U.S. and the, uh, and the Australian numbers. Oh, they, they, they do uh, the power in kilowatts. So it's 72.9 kilowatts, which is about 98 horsepower. Mm-hmm. And he upped that to about 76 kilowatts, so up to about 102 horsepower. So a minor increase, but uh, still, I guess, significant. It's a 2.6-liter engine. Yeah, he fixed the uh, shock tuning, got disc brakes all around. Yep, five-speed manual. Uh-huh, 15-inch yep. alloy wheels. Pirelli tires. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, a special paint job with striped decals and all yeah, that. Yeah, and a cosmetic kit. So he's got Recaro front seats and an autographed steering wheel by Momo. Yeah, so, you know, anything that carries a signature like this, a special or signature edition, is usually a popular seller. And I wonder if a 1,000 was... Uh, was just kind of the limit for them, or if it just necessarily wasn't that popular. I'm not exactly the sh- sure on the story of this, but I would think that it's just a limited production vehicle that uh, they never intended to build more than a thousand of. Right. Yeah. I think it was more just for the publicity and, and proving a point. Uh, however, there was a car that had uh, only only around 120 produced, and that was the Overlander four wheel drive. Yeah, this is one that was in production. Oh man, it's actually a long production. It's it's from 1976 to 1989, and only 120. Yeah. Just think about that. Yeah. This is based on the Holden HJ and HZ. Ah, yes, that's right. Now it did have other things too. It had a Dana transfer case and had a um, well front and rear off road axles and wheels and tires and suspension that are you know also off road approved. It was a uh, kind of a rugged outback type vehicle i guess i mean it's something intended for off-road use right yeah and this was produced uh not just by holden but by a company in tasmania called vehicle engineering and modifications pl Hmm. so if you see one of these even if you don't think it's the most attractive car go ahead and pat yourself on the back because you have seen you you have won the lottery of car viewing (laughs) yeah there's again 120 produced and the last one was produced, what, some 26 years ago now? Mm-hmm. So a long time ago, they had three body styles. They had a wagon, they had a ute, and then they had a, a kind of a heavy-duty ute, which was the one-ton version. Mm-hmm. And uh, not popular at all. I mean, it just didn't sell well. Uh, they found that most people that were in the same market for something like this, for the um, for the same vehicle, bought the Toyota Land Cruiser instead. Ouch. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of tough to take. But um, I guess if you, you know, 
you see the sales numbers on the decline and you see that, you know, the people that are interested in your vehicle are going over next door to the Toyota dealership and just picking up the Land Cruiser. It, it doesn't take long to understand that, you know, this, this vehicle is not going to hang out too long. It's going to be quickly off the market. Right. And with that, we arrive at our last obscure or strange Australian vehicle on the list. And Scott, that is the Recaro Mystery. Yeah, this is strange. It has another name too, the Arcadapane Taipan. Uh, strange, yeah. strange names right now. This, this is what this became, and I'll explain it in just a second. But yeah. to me, this vehicle, just to describe it, it looks a little bit like the AMC Eagle that was sold here in the United States, that 4x4 AMC mm-hmm. Eagle car. Yeah. Uh, very similar to it. And this is a 1977 concept from the Sydney Motor Show. And it's, it's, uh, well, the designer, this is somebody interesting, I guess. Oh, yeah. As far as, Peter Arkidapain. Yeah. Peter. Now, Peter is the guy that was responsible for, um, designing. He was a Ford designer at one time and he designed the Mad Max Interceptor. Um, or he helped design the, the Mad Max Interceptor yeah. for the yeah. film, the one that we're talking about in the film. And, um, that car was a 1973 XB GT Ford Falcon Coupe. And it was kind of a high performance police interceptor car that was, you know, built for the film intended to look pretty evil looking. You know, it's right. kind of, uh, it had kind of a, a dangerous look to pretty, it. Pretty, pretty mean on the road. Exactly right. So this is the guy that's, that's building this vehicle or was, you know, aiding in the design of this vehicle. Right. And, uh, this vehicle itself, the Mysteria, was built from a Holden Torona, uh, and that ultimately, uh, gave rise to the Taipan body kit. But here's the interesting thing. This was originally, we saw it as a concept car, it was just supposed to be a one-off car uh, that allowed Recaro to showcase some of their stuff. Ah, uh, yes, but it had other variations, too. It wasn't just a, a Toronto hatchback, right? It had a chop tail, it had a shovel nose design, it yeah. also had uh, wheel arch flares, mm-hmm. which I find very attractive, as we all know. Uh, we had also found that the Taipan went through uh, several different iterations of the body kit, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get a version called the Bobcat, uh, you can get one with uh, NACA ducks on it. Uh, you can also see uh, you can also see variations on the nose and the hatch at the end. Uh, but I think one thing that's interesting here is uh, to ask ourselves what happened to the cars uh, that this guy was designing. You know, like how far did he take it? Yeah, well, it was the plan was for low volume production numbers, but the the plan, however, you know, they had laid it out. It just didn't add up completely. And eventually they said, well, we've got a good design here. We've got to do something with it. And they sold the body kits um, as the as something they called the Taipan kit through Arcata Payne's coach building business. So there's a way to get a kit to make your your vehicle, your Torana based uh, hatchback look just like this one. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And also this is completely tangential, but this is something I'm excited enough about to end the podcast on. Scott, you know about the new Mad Max coming out, right? I do, and I've seen just very little of it so far, though. But the, some of the vehicles that they've shown. Yeah, the vehicles. Are amazing. So what I would like to do is uh, follow up in the future with an update on the cars of Mad Max. Maybe we can start with the Interceptor in the original and walk all the way up to the newest Mad Max. I would love to do that. I'm a huge fan of that uh, of that movie, and I think that... Um, some of the newer ones that I've seen, I've just seen a glimpse of some of them, you know, what they're, what they're showing us now. And, uh, I, I really, really like this. 
And we hope that you enjoyed checking out this show. This is one of those episodes that I feel like is a um, a rabbit hole, you know, and it's very easy to fall down into the history of some of these cars. As we said earlier, write to us and let us know if you want us to do an entire episode on one of these. And it just might happen. In the meantime, you can check out carstuffshow.com to see every episode we've ever done. Uh, we even have some videos up because uh, we're moving on up in the world. Uh, if you want to see some stuff that doesn't quite make it to the show, uh, please do follow us. We are Car Stuff HSW on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, super easy. And, I don't know, we're pretty funny. We get our chuckles in sometimes. Occasionally. All right. Well, if you have some advice for us about jokes we should be making, topics we should be covering, yeah. I think you're a funny guy, but uh, mine fall a little flat sometimes. Are you kidding? I'm I'm the wor- I'm clearly not the brains of this comedy operation. Uh, you tell jokes in here all the time. In fact, before our podcast, sometimes you're you're telling jokes we're cracking up. It's, it's hard to even go on the air sometimes. Well, you know, some of those jokes can't go on the air, Scott. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good point. Um, so that's a very good point that you made. If you have any jokes that can be on the air, then please feel free to mail them along with a topic suggestion to our address. We are car stuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.